George Washington. There are few names in American history that can evoke the same reverence and respect. And his former home at Mount Vernon is one of the most visited historic houses in the entire nation. Somehow, apps for your smartphone might not feel like they could easily fit into such a revered place. But we had Rob Shank from George Washington's Mount Vernon to talk about the digital experience of visiting an old house. If you're curious how George himself might feel today about getting a digital tour of his old home, then stick around and check out this week's PreserveCast. From Preservation Maryland Studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast. Rob Shank is the Senior Vice President for Visitor Engagement at George Washington's Mount Vernon, where he oversees marketing, guest experience, and new media departments. In fact, Rob is Mount Vernon's first Vice President of New Media. In 2014, he oversaw the launch of a new mountvernon.org website and was awarded a gold W3 for top websites. Rob was also instrumental in the creation of Mount Vernon's two feature presentations, Now or Never, the Yorktown Campaign of 1781, and the Winter Patriots, the Battles of Trenton and Princeton. Now or Never was awarded a Silver Telly Award in 2015. Additionally, Rob has played a central role in the creation of the Mount Vernon Virtual Tour, Washington's World Interactive Map, and Mount Vernon's two mobile apps, including Agent 711, Revolutionary Spy Adventure. Rob, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Nick. It's a joy. So it seems like you have been exceptionally busy. And I, I should say for the for the listener uh, of this podcast, Rob and I n- know each other from our days back at the Civil War Trust. And so the last time I really checked in with you in an in-depth way was when you were doing digital work, um, telling the story of the Civil War. And so you jumped back about 100 years or so uh, to the Revolutionary Era and to George Washington. And it seems like you've been pretty busy since then. So you were hired specifically to take on sort of these digital properties at Mount Vernon. Is that kind of what you what you were brought there for? Yes. So uh, now a few years ago, I was recruited and brought over to Mount Vernon to kind of help overhaul our digital assets and properties. And I think while Mount Vernon had, uh, I think by most measurements, a really excellent guest experience in a physical way, digitally we were really pretty underwhelming. And I think in this modern area, that was a real opportunity and concern for the estate. And so your charge is to not only tell the story of Washington to the people who visit there, but but you're trying to engage um you know, an even broader swath of Americans in the, in the story of Washington. And I should say, I think I just read somewhere that you guys at, at Mount Vernon, you know, eclipsed a million physical visitors. Is that right? That's right. We have actually, uh, over the past, I'd say, six, seven years, uh, had a little more than a million guests come to the estate each year. And so we're very blessed by that. That puts us you know, pretty high up there in terms of historical sites. And we're always so uh, grateful for all those guests who come. And so a million physically come, how many are interacting with your digital resources? Ah, see, now that's a great question. So, you know, that number now has grown to be more than 6 million in a year. And uh, when I first 
came to Mount Vernon, uh, there was almost near parity between digital and physical visitors, which to me was a uh, real warning sign. Uh, I think a healthier ratio is closer to what we're at now. And, you know, I've been trying to study other historical cultural sites to get a sense of, of that ratio. And so would you say now that the Mount Vernon ratio after some of that study is, is pretty high up there or is that about on par with some of the, some of the big players out there? I would say we're on par and healthy now. So that's good. I think we're not satisfied. We're always trying to grow and reach you know, ever more people. And I think, you know, we would love to see continued growth. And I think the exciting thing is that we're still seeing, you know, double digit uh, uh, percentage growth uh, year over year. And uh, we're expecting more of the same for next year. So, I mean, this podcast is focused on on the intersection of technology and preservation. And obviously, um, what you're doing at Mount Vernon is sort of at the forefront, really kind of cutting edge as far as um, bridging that divide and and using technology, um, in this case, to interpret and, and and tell the story of Washington. And obviously, you have sort of your basic digital resources like the the website, and then also it seems like you have sort of a, a growing collection of apps. What what has been the strategy there? Is it is it to to focus on app development, or is it sort of an all 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 across everything? I mean, wh- where do you put a lot of your your time and effort? Well, Nick, I think we took one giant step back and we pretty much said to ourselves, in whatever platform, whatever popular platform, someone might type in the word George Washington or some related question, we wanted to be the answer. Now, I know that might sound ambitious, but I think we try to think that uh, rather than trying to force people to adopt our channels, we would go to where they were and try to create properties and offerings and content that would match up with their natural interests and, uh, um, and wants. And so I think that, you know, while the website is still a very prominent channel, we all know how social has grown and social is a huge endeavor and focus of ours, mobile products, mobile content apps, you know, because we know that's also a very important and growing channel, but video and video and all the different popular and growing channels there has been key for us. And we continue to look for other places where we think, um, people might be curious about George Washington and we might be able to kind of provide ever more authoritative and interesting answers. Where are those places? Is there anything that would surprise a listener where, where you guys are sort of thinking about next? Cause I mean, you're, you're obviously on social, you're in, in a lot of the places where we would expect you, where, where are the unexpected places? Well, Nick, I think there's a number of interesting places on what I'll call the frontier of technology, at least as it relates to say historical or cultural sites. I think first and foremost, and again, this shouldn't be a surprise to any of your listeners, but virtual reality is of great interest to us. I think we've been following it closely. We've been continuing to test and evaluate other sort of storytelling uh, virtual reality offerings. You know, we uh, built this very popular virtual tour on our website, which is by many measurements still our most popular content offering. And we've always thought the next step for it would be more into the VR space. So that rather than kind of looking into a 360-degree world, you might be within it, uh, which would be a natural. So I think for us, we didn't feel we needed to be at the bleeding edge there. And we were kind of let a lot of the uh, technologies sort themselves out and the options sort themselves out. But that does seem to be a very interesting vector for us. I would say other things continue to be of interest. We're, we're interested in kind of the, a lot of the new um, you know, audio-based AI sorts of things, the series, like the Amazon Alexas, 
you know, the Google offerings, which allow um, voice-based inquiry and response. And so we're watching that space as well. And I think for all of us, we're just looking to kind of find those places where there's a lot of interest and demand. Let me ask you this. I mean, as a site that is place-based, I mean, obviously you're telling a story in a digital way to a bigger, even bigger audience. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the Mount Vernon Ladies Association was established to to save that place. Do, is there ever a concern or a worry that you'll get so good at doing it on the digital side that there really won't be a reason to come to Mount Vernon? I mean, are, is there is there a is there a an effort to make sure that you're converting those digital visitors to actual in person visitors? Uh, that's a that's a great question. It actually, does harken back to I think when I first pitched the ladies. Uh, on building a virtual tour, some wondered, you know, would we deflect visitation? I think I tried to tell them that still for us and really Mount Vernon, it's the power of place, which I think continues to attract. So I want to stand where Washington stood. I want to be in the building where Washington lived. I want to see the tomb where he resides today. And, And no virtual offering, I think, can replace that. I used to joke, in fact, sometimes we use the label uh, the subtext, if you will, for the virtual tour as the second best way to visit Mount Vernon. Now, honestly, it could be the first or only way for, say, a, a moderate income school district in Idaho or a, a school in uh, Los Angeles uh, to visit Mount Vernon today. And so, you know, the virtual offering does allow people to have a more immersive Mount Vernon experience. And I think that's been interesting for us and expanded our reach. I think for us, we also saw the virtual tour functioning also as a aid to the physical visitor. So if you've been to Mount Vernon, particularly during our high season where we're very busy, sometimes you can't linger inside the mansion. You can't ask 20 questions about that painting or that object or that chair and what we found within the virtual environment was our ability to overlay information, and particularly from our curators, you know, our architects, our other subject matter experts, in a way that really kind of made it a very rich offering that it would allow a person to kind of before a visit or after a visit to do a more in-depth inspection or, or uh, exploration of those spaces and places. So it really, truly is an augmentation. You're, you're not trying to, to replace the real thing. You know, there, there is no replacement for visiting the place, but it's, it's an opportunity to augment an already amazing experience in an amazing place. Very much so. I think that uh, if you've ever stood on the piazza at Mount Vernon and looked across the Potomac, I don't care how great your virtual experience is, it's very hard to replicate in terms of the power and majesty of that view. So for organization, you know, leaders of organizations or listeners who are, you know, members of places with far fewer resources than uh, Mount Vernon, because let's face it, you know, Mount Vernon stands at the very top of the historic house museum pyramid in America and, and for good reason, but, but it is, it is sort of singular and, and a very different experience. I would imagine working at a Mount Vernon than, you know, the average historic house museum across America. But for the, for the folks involved there, are there takeaways or lessons learned from what you're doing at Mount Vernon that could be used at a much smaller place with much fewer resources? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm always amazed by the array of powerful tools, low-cost powerful tools that are at our beck and call. And Nick, you may recall our days at the Civil War Trust where 
there weren't really that many of us doing things. But if you're nimble and capable and have enough subject matter expertise and a little technical wherewithal, you can do remarkable things these days. Um, I might just point to kind of the Facebook Live effect that we're seeing what many do. If you have a phone and you can hold it steady in front of a smart person in, in an interesting place, you can create magic and have a distribution pipe that people 20 years ago you know, would have paid uh, significant money for. Um, I think that um, you know, video cameras today are, are capable of recording video at 4K. And I think that you have platforms like YouTube or Vimeo or Facebook or Twitter, you know, which allow you to get really kind of truly global reach. And so I don't think really you know, that size is a limiter or even necessarily funds is a limiter towards doing great things digitally. I think what really is the biggest barrier I see in organizations is a lack of will to try. And I think that you really just need kind of people who are willing to kind of give things a shot to really kind of, you know, try to create kind of stories, to create kind of wonderful offerings and content that will really connect with their audience. Yeah. And I know that, I mean, speaking from Preservation Maryland's perspective, obviously you're talking to someone running an organization that is trying to do a podcast. So, so we're putting ourselves out there to see what, what this, uh, what the reward is for this as a way to kind of broaden our reach and, and, and broaden our story a bit. But we too have found, you know, I would say our, our experience has been similar in the sense that just putting out content that we already had and repurposing it and repackaging it in sort of a slick digital way has brought about, you know, great rewards. I and mean, we've grown visitation to our own digital uh, resources by something like 400% year over year, just by kind of putting out things we, you know, we've already had or already used. Um, and people find that really fascinating. We're bringing a lot of new people to the fold. So I think you're right. It's just, it's a willingness to try. I mean, I think, uh, your site's great. And I think that when you think about today's modern world, Many times the first contact that someone will have with an organization is through a website or through some sort of digital offering. So I think, you know, not investing there at least some modest amount is, uh, is, should be concerning to any organization. It's really what sets the tone and really sets that relationship. Yeah, and I know I, I've I've read stats that say you know the the younger someone you know whichever demographic they fall in you know a millennial or younger they they make instantaneous judgment calls about organizations based on what they see about them either through social media or their website. I mean, if they find a a website that is is let's just say uh, lacking, you know that they're instantly making judgment calls about that organization. It's, it's not something that organizations can kind of just overlook. It it really is an important aspect of telling your story. So true. Let me ask you about apps. You guys have done a variety of different apps. I know when you were at Civil War Trust, you, you did a lot of app work and app development. Is, is the return on investment the same for an app that perhaps it is for you know, the return that you can see from social media or, or web development? Is it the same? Is it worth it for a, a smaller organization to take a look at doing? What are your thoughts on apps in general? Yeah. Now, I guess my thoughts have really evolved over the years. You're right. Back in the Civil War Trust, we built the battle apps, which were, uh, I think we started them back in 2010. And they were really one of the only ways that we could envision delivering uh, location-based content way out in battlefields that had little interpretive opportunities. And uh, really was by far and away the best technology to do so. I think today, though, the answer I would give is much more nuanced. 
I don't think it's necessary to have an app. I don't think it's necessary for every organization to develop, you know, uh, downloadables. I think that might be on a case by case basis. I think there was a point in time in which, you know, you know, you didn't seem to exist or you weren't really on the map if you didn't create an app. And there was kind of this more of this comparative uh, mandate. I think today with the advances in mobile and really mobile content and the way that people access mobile uh, content, it's less important. What's more important today is that your content, which you may be looking at and developing on your desktop, perform well in a phone. And I think too many of us focus too much on the really big desktop displays and how does our content look there versus how we know many people today, particularly younger people, access content, which is with their thumb placed on an iPhone or Android device scrolling that way. And so that's an area that uh, we've made strides. And honestly, here even at Mount Vernon, we've got a ways to go to really kind of maximize the mobile experience, which is so vital. And think of your visitors, particularly in a preservation mode, who may be from out of town, they're away from their desktop and really their connectivity, you know, at your place, at your location is via devices. Right. I mean, and and I'm curious at, at Mount Vernon, what do you see as far as pe- how people are reaching you? Is it is it majority mobile? I mean, does it depend on on the type of platform or, or way in which they're interacting with you? But I mean, how does it break down there as an example? It really has grown a tremendous amount. We will see, and it does also change a little bit seasonally, but we will sometimes see months in which almost half of our uh, content, our digital content is accessed via devices. And um, that's really caught our attention. And so I think that you know all of us need to really pay much more attention towards mobile-friendly presentation as a, as a result. Um, we see many people on the estate using phones. Uh, they're taking thousands upon thousands of photos and sharing them. They're doing tweets. They're doing Instagram posts. They're doing all sorts of things on the estate. One of the decisions we made early on, and I always credit the Mount Vernon ladies for uh, approving this project was installing a statewide free Wi-Fi service. Where we are isn't always blessed with really super strong cell coverage, so it had the added benefit of just giving general connectivity across our historic landscape, but it also allowed us to kind of enable mobile services and mobile content and enable our guests and visitors to make real-time posts showing them having a great time here at Mount Vernon, which has a natural viral marketing benefit. Right. And a lot of preservation groups and a lot of historic sites have been very hesitant, not not even just on Wi-Fi, but hesitant to sort of open up their offerings to that kind of experience. You know, you're not allowed to take pictures. You can't take pictures. That seems like it's not the case there. In fact, it sounds like it's the exact opposite. Well, we do. I, I will be honest. Well, there are a few restricted areas from a photography point of view. Um, that's not necessarily our restrictions, but sometimes we are displaying artwork or furniture, which is on loan, and those that are lending us may have restrictions which carry over. I think outside of, say, some of those very finite restricted areas, we, we're a very photogenic site. Um, we have, you know, this beautiful uh, historic mansion perched above the Potomac River. There's these beautiful, majestic landscapes. It's a place that, 
you know, when you're out there and you're watching our guests, they've all got their phones and cameras out and they're all taking pictures and they're all interested in sharing it. And so uh, great to see because that's very much how the modern person operates today. I pretty much, you know, I only truly visit a place when I can take a photograph of it and share it with my friends. Right. It didn't really happen unless you took a picture. Exactly. Right. (laughs) I think that we want to enable that. And I think we want to celebrate that. We've really reached out to, to a lot of the better photographers in our area. These are maybe non-professional, but very advanced amateurs, if you will. And we've really embraced them and encouraged them to come out to Mount Vernon to take a lot of photographs that they can share with their friends, but also we can share via our channels. And that's been a very you know, important uh, development and relationship for us. So again, maybe another thing to think about for smaller sites is invite other great photographers from your area to come take great photos of your site. Yeah, that's that's like a that's a no cost idea. It just just takes some time to introduce yourself and get them out there. Yeah, and usually a photographer, you know, a really advanced amateur, they don't need to be paid. What they really want are two things: access, you know, maybe preferential access or positioning, early morning, you know, golden hour or high up in a tree or in some places. And they want promotion and recognition. So we can provide both of those quite easily. Right. So let me ask you, this is sort of a, I guess, maybe an oddball or a little bit of a funny question, but, you know, you you do your work sort of under the, at least, you know, he's no longer there, but in a sense, the gaze of, of Washington and a pretty, pretty fantastic and incredible figure in American history. And obviously you're, you're trying to do him justice in, in any way you can through your work. What do you think, I mean, we, we, we don't know, but, but what do you think Washington would think about this kind of experience that visitors are having or that, that his story is being told in this way? I mean, what do we, do you, have ever, do you ever have any sense of that or think about, hmm, I wonder what Washington would think about all of these technological advances and the fact that there's someone who works day in and day out just on technology to tell his story? Uh, I think about that a great deal, Nick. You know, obviously, this is some dangerous extrapolation. So put that caveat out there. But I think Washington would have fully embraced and been fully fascinated with all the technology of this day. You only have to look back to Washington himself and see his interest in technology. You know, as president, he signs a patent for an automated mill technology that he immediately writes a letter to his farm manager that he wants installed at his grist mill. You know, he is interested in kind of boats that have new propulsion systems that will allow them to go upriver more efficiently. He's very interested in American manufacture and and supporting American manufacturing. He's a scientific farmer. He's one that, um, you know, wants to kind of experiment and find new ways to to more efficiently produce crops. He's developing new plows. Um, He's a person who seeks the technology of the 18th century. Um, And I fully expect, you know, Washington of this day would be very proficient um, at uh, operating his his iPhone or Android device and and using today's services and employing them to kind of facilitate his larger goals. Um, I can only imagine what his farm managers must have suffered if uh, he could have IM'd them, if you will, or sent them a text message or or whatnot. He he could have been, uh, you know, that could have been a tough relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it seems to me that Washington was also, I mean, he was, you know, one of America's first true celebrities. And so uh, he probably would have been able to take advantage of, of that as well. He uh, could have rivaled the Kardashians, I suppose, on Instagram in his day. 
Well, that's a great insight because you know I think from an information point of view, Washington was an avid reader of newspapers and an avid reader of pamphlets. And you got to think of pamphlets in the 18th century way as really the blogs of their day. And he was very adept. And if you are a student of the Revolutionary War, you'll see him very attuned to public opinion and how to shape public opinion using newspapers, pamphlets, um, other sorts of communication uh, technology of his day. So, you know, websites, blogs, podcasts, Instagram feeds, I'm sure he would have uh, been smart about how to use those. But again, that's my own personal speculation. Yeah, we'll, we'll, never, we'll never really know. And, it, and it, you know, at the risk of I don't want to get partisan whatsoever as a nonpartisan organization, but you know, in a in a time of heightened political tension, it seems like the Washington story has has perhaps more value than it than it's ever had had before. Is there an attempt made, at least on the communication side? And I know that sort of goes beyond the work that you do, just in on being able to tell the story and the platforms for it. But is there an attempt made now? Or are you thinking about how to how to use Washington's story? Um, to, to answer some of those questions or concerns about where this country moves and, and how we ease those political tensions? Because certainly Washington, you know, oversaw a country that, that had just as many, if not more tensions in, in his own day. We think about it all the time and we try to act upon it carefully. I think that we're in an era in which many people are looking back to the founding fathers as as role models or as comparative sources to today's politics, for better and for worse. And so we do feel that Washington in the founding era is a highly relevant subject and ever more relevant uh, today. And we've been trying to carefully place uh, content and stories from Washington and, and Washington's day, which we think might amuse and be interesting to you know the, the modern viewer in that relationship. We have sensed you know, and we can see it via a variety of tools and metrics and reports, really uh, strong growth in a lot of our content that would match up towards today's issues. So, for instance, we have a great page on Washington's cabinet and how he selected and formed his cabinet. Again, something which is very much in the news today. Um, religious tolerance is something that we've put forward in kind of Washington's views about immigration and uh, what it was to be an American. We have much other content just about his character. And I think for us, in being kind of the home of George Washington, we are held to this high standard that I think Washington would expect of us. You know, we we do seek to sustain Washington's nonpartisanship. Again, you can't find another president um, who was more opposed to partisanship and party than George Washington. And I think that we always seek to write above it. And so that we can reflect those those important uh, uh, tenets of his life and, and political thought. Yeah, and I think you've, you've made an, an important point for a lot of organizations who deal with these weighty historical topics, which is, you know, rise above it. Don't don't let yourself fall victim to partisanship, but at the same time, um, remain relevant. And I think, you know, when you, you mentioned that, you know, some of the stories that you have um, that are particularly connected to you know, headlines in the news today are, you know, kind of moving up through the ranks as far as who are, who's visiting those, those stories. And uh, I think to me, that is a, that's a big takeaway is uh, it's important to remain relevant and to find how your story is relevant. And I think a lot of historic sites have a difficulty with that or, or they're hesitant to do that. But I, I think it is important to, to remind folks that there are lessons to be learned from the past, right? I mean, that's why we're here. 
like that's why a lot of people come to Mount Vernon. It's in many ways a pilgrimage site to visit and pay your respects to George Washington and the many things that he stood for, which we still see today as a gold standard. And so uh, we're grateful for that. And I think we always need to find uh, new ways to tell those old great stories and, and uh, share that wisdom from his era. Uh, and I think that's one of our core missions here. I'd also say, Nick, that uh, we had a success around even the election day in which we promoted you know, a short video on Facebook, which set all sorts of records for us. It was just a short video showing Washington learning that he had been elected president. It was a silent uh, video with just an audio accompaniment, and it just spoke to a population that was feeling very much on edge about who would be president that day. And it exploded, and we were able to reach a gigantic audience just with that short video. Wow. And that's a perfect example. It kind of encapsulates all of that. No partisanship there. You weren't making any comments on anything like that, but you are, you know, capturing that moment and, and remaining relevant. And I think that that is the big, the big story for historic house museums and preservation groups of, of all stripes is how, do you, how to remain relevant. And I think that technology is a, is a big component of that. So you guys are obviously doing amazing work. It's why we wanted to have you on here. As we sort of draw to the conclusion here, we we normally ask everyone, and so far on the podcast, I think we've largely had just Marylanders on here. So you are our first Virginian, first folks uh, across the Potomac. Normally we ask what's their favorite building in Maryland, but seeing as you're a Virginian, we will allow uh, you to pick a, uh, a Virginian structure. I have a funny feeling I know what it's going to be, but I will I will turn it over to you to hear what is Rob Shank's favorite Virginian piece of architecture? Oh, wow. Boy, there's so many. But I will, I will go with the obvious, which is George Washington's home, the Mount Vernon home. And it's, you know, it's still amazing. I've been in it now hundreds of times. And uh, sometimes you pause and you look into, say, Washington's bedroom and you look at the bed in which he actually died in and you think about the history and you think about the important moments that happened there. And it just a, it fills me with such a sense of solemnness. It's a beautiful building, a beautiful setting. I've had the privilege of standing there looking across the river at Maryland, believe it or not, um, and just always so grateful for the acts of the Mount Vernon ladies who, you know, 160 years ago uh, stepped into the breach to save that very home before it fell apart. And, uh, you know, that's a great story into itself, but one that we also seek to tell both at the estate and via our digital channels. Yeah, I mean, the, the Mount Vernon story is is from whence all preservation uh, begins, at least in the United States. And so it's a, it's a story we tell often, and we're a proud part of that lineage somewhere we fall on on your family tree. Uh, back in 1931 is, is sort of when we, we took our start. And, uh, and I guess we can, we can trace it back to, to those ladies who, who said that that place mattered and it was a place worth saving. So I guess we all owe them a debt of gratitude in a sense. We do. I, I wanted. I, I should mention too. And when I, when I asked what my favorite building was, I chose the Maryland State House, but largely because of uh, a Washingtonian experience, which is the old Senate chamber, which has just recently been restored, and you know the idea of standing in this place where Washington stood and and really made world history, and where he said he wasn't going to continue on as some type of monarch or or a general in command, and he was going to hand over his military command and, and resign and, and go back to being a private citizen. And what a powerful space that was. But, you know, I was drawn to the same thing. You know, my experience is uh, 
is seeing that spot where where Washington stood. So there is something truly powerful uh, associated with the experience of Washington, no matter where it is. I've always had seen the Trumbull painting, which shows that room and shows Washington handing his commission back to Congress, which is such a symbolic and important moment and really the center of civilian control of the military and the giving up of power, which is such an important feat and achievement. And it was so wonderful to go into that very room and see it restored and see the statue of Washington there. It just really did fill me with awe and just so grateful for all the organizations, including Preservation Maryland, who save and preserve those places because that power of place remains and we can connect with it in those places. Yeah, a lot of, lot of places to interact with Washington's story, of course, and particularly in Annapolis. So, Well, Rob, uh, it's been a pleasure, as always, to, to catch up with you and to hear about all the great work that you're doing at Mount Vernon. If someone wants to get in touch with you or wants to learn more about the story of George Washington and Mount Vernon, how would they do that? Yeah, well, again, uh, mountvernon.org is our website. And again, it's chock full of all sorts of great content and, and things that I talked about here. And again, if you're interested in reaching me directly, I'm rshank at mountvernon.org. All right, Rob. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do and for telling the story, the very important and relevant story of George Washington in a very new and innovative way. Thanks again. Thank you, Nick. And thank you, Preservation Maryland. You don't need to open a history book to find us. Available online from iTunes and the Google Play Store, as well as our website, presmd.org. This is PreserveCast. This podcast was developed under a grant from the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training, a unit of the National Park Service. Its contents are the sole responsibility of Preservation Maryland and the Maryland Milestones Heritage Area and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the National Park Service or the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training. This week's episode was produced and engineered by Ben and Stephen Israel. Our executive producer is Aaron Markovich. Our theme music is performed by the band Pretty Gritty. You can learn more about them at their website, prettygrittymusic.com, on Facebook or on Twitter at PG underscore Pretty Gritty. To learn more about Preservation Maryland or this week's guest, visit preservationmaryland.org. While there, you can check out our blog and learn about what's current in historic preservation. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Flickr, and Twitter at PreservationMD. And of course, a very special thank you to our listeners. Keep preserving.